0: It's great to have you here. What do you say in between Christmas and New Year's? You say, Merry New Year. That's how you greet one another. It's great to have you here. Um, I want to uh, direct your attention. We're going to be in First in Timothy chapter 1 today. So if you have your Bibles, open up and uh, turn there with me. And uh, over the course of this time, this week and next week, we're going to be talking about a vision for our new year. Uh, New Year's resolutions are things that really should happen every day, but I use this time a little bit strategically so that we can uh, kind of focus our minds, prepare our hearts for being used of the Lord and continue to be being used of the Lord. And uh, it's it's entitled Transforming Prayers. And we're going to call you over the next two weeks to pray for your church, pray for your city. And then pray for yourself as you're aligned to what God is doing in our midst. How did you get here in Topeka? How many of you were born in Topeka? You've spent your whole life here. Okay. How many of you, the rest of you have moved here, right? Okay. So how many of you moved as an adult? Okay. So maybe um, maybe a job got you here or you moved closer to family to do that. And I remember getting a call about 13 years ago from a guy named Alan Wynn, who is an elder here at Fellowship Bible Church. I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he said, hi, Joe, this is Alan Wynn. I'm calling from Fellowship Bible Church in Topeka, Kansas. As soon as he said that, I thought, Topeka, Kansas. Where's that? And I mean, I knew Kansas, but where exactly? See, that's a capital city. And and I I kind of figured out and I'd heard that there's kind of an odd church here. Um, And I was so thankful that it wasn't that church when he announced it. (laughs) But we um, continued talking and he shared a vision with me of what was on the elders hearts at that time that they wanted to be a part of a church that would make a difference in this city and, and even have an influence around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They wanted to make disciples. They wanted to call people to a relationship with God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it aligned with everything kind of that I was interested in. And I got into the ministry mainly because I wanted to be a part of a major awakening somewhere in our country uh, where people who were lost, people who were blind to God, who weren't living life with Him, would come awakened, would come alive and have a relationship with Christ. Some of you pray for revival. I just pray for revival because people who are dead to God are now alive. And uh, I wanted to be a part of a church. I was committed to a local church. I think it's God's plan A for reaching a city. To take responsibility with that city and uh, connect with other churches to advance the gospel in these environments. I had prayed that God might be able to use me and the, uh, any church I was involved in into, to spiritual transformation that would work itself out actually in physical transformation, that lives would be changed. People would love God and they would love people around them. Specifically, I also prayed for marriages, that God would get into marriages and move selfish people into being selfless and loving each other as, as God loves us. I also prayed for families and and prayed for, over the course of our time here, we prayed for generational patterns of sin to be ended and to be reestablished, refounded on the grace of Jesus Christ. I prayed for singles, that singles uh, in our community would live a compelling vision that's Christ-centered, biblically based, and, and were engaging the adventure that God had for them, which is much like the Apostle Paul, who was a single man who advanced the gospel far beyond pretty much anyone else in the history of humanity. I prayed for children and students to be connected and serving, to be sharing their faith, not people who just show up expecting a church to serve them, but showed up and available to serve and advance the gospel in their lives. I prayed for a generous church that would be connecting and giving beyond itself, that wouldn't just spend all the resources that people gave to it, but would actually be being a blessing in their city and around the world. I prayed for a church that would develop leaders who were young and passionate and courageous, willing to give up and to go wherever God would take them. I also prayed for a church that wasn't hung up on its own name, but was open to any church and partnering with that church to advance the gospel in that community. You know what? We all have a personal story about why we're here and some of us may think oh boy if i just wasn't if i if i weren't in topeka my life would be so much better but you know what it's that's systemic in our culture to always be looking for a better place and never realize and never to take responsibility with the place god has you right now You can see it with your age. Some of you go, boy, I'll start being connected once I graduate from college. Or I'll start serving the Lord really once I have my the kids, you know, through college. And then I'll really dedicate my life to Christ. Well, you don't know the heart you're going to have or not have in the future. You can only be responsible for how God has has brought you to this place at this time. So we want to be a place where you're engaging God right now, not waiting till tomorrow, not waiting for something else to happen, but to engage, to engage God's transformation in your life and to have it affect every relationship you're in. You see, transformation is a good gift to ask God for. He loves to give good gifts to his children who ask. And what we're going to talk about over these next two weeks is how you can pray for transformation. First of all, in your church and for your city. And I want to direct your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Because Paul is going to share his transformation story. And it's going to challenge us and it's going to chart out a course for us as we follow the Lord and seek him working through us as a church in our city. He says this. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost or worst. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life to the king of ages immortal invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's going to show three things that we're to pray for. Three things that were evident in his life that we need to pray for are not only happening in our lives, but are happening in, in our city and in the people around you, even right now in your church. Here's what he prayed for. Number one, we need to pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be received in us. Secondly, we need to pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would deepen in us Thirdly, we need to pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be shared by us So now that you filled out your notes, we can all go home. Let's pray No, let's unpack this because there's there's some good stuff that I need to be called into this and it's really beyond knowing these points It's in us really interacting with each one of these points. Let's look look at the first one. Is the gospel received? Is the gospel received in your life? Paul talks about how he received mercy in verse 13. Also in verse 13, he said, I acted ignorantly, used to act ignorantly in unbelief. But then he said something happened. Verse 14, he says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. With the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Those those two things that happened in his life. He had a deeper trust in God. He was a deeper faith, but he also had a greater love. Now, this is Paul. This is Paul, who used to be this overzealous Jewish man. A Pharisee of Pharisees. He was religious, but he had no understanding he could not save himself. It was all based on if I'm good enough, God will accept me. The righteous life saves you. And Jesus Christ came to to teach each one of us, we can't save ourselves. That's why he came to seek and save those who were lost. Uh, But something happened in his life. Even though he felt he was on the top of the heap, he was humbled by God's mercy in his life. God's grace, he says, overflowed. To him. God's grace is like a river flowing. Isn't it? That's the that's picture he's giving us. It overflows from the banks. And everything around the bank. Everything close to that river. Was enriched. It gets what's in the river. And God's grace. When it comes into your life. You get what God has. When grace hits your life. What do you get? You get his love. You get his undeserved acceptance. His unconditional relationship. And Paul simply couldn't contain it. He simply couldn't contain it. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Is, is right now, you, you may be like Paul used to be before he, he received the gospel in his life. You may be resistant. You may also be, you may not understand the grace of God yet. We find a lot of people come to us with a lot of different religious backgrounds And, and most religious backgrounds basically tell you that it's up to you to save yourself. It's up to you to be good enough. It's up to you to measure up. So show up at church, give in the offering, be a good person, and eventually your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. And you know what that leads you to? You're always wondering, am I in? Am I out? But Paul realized it couldn't be earned. It was never deserved. You can never be good enough to deserve Jesus Christ. And that's why grace is that word. It's God's undeserved love that was lived out in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who lived a life you couldn't live. He died on a cross to pay a price you couldn't pay. And he rose again the third day. And that's what we're called to receive, just like a gift. You all received gifts this Christmas. So so when you receive those gifts, you never tried to pay anyone back. You simply received it. We all have to get to a point where we stop trying and we start trusting. Where we stop doing and trust in someone who's already done it for us. That's Jesus. We all need to pray. First of all, that we would receive it. And once you have it, that others would receive it. Do you pray for that? You pray that the gospel would be received by others. That's one of our consistent prayers, either on Saturday night before the Saturday evening services or Sunday morning before our services here. We pray that people would be open to the gospel, that God would do his work of opening eyes, opening closed hearts, opening closed minds to the glory and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that they would run to him. Because that's the reality. God must do that work. Even of opening minds. I can share a compelling message. But unless God opens eyes. It just falls on deaf ears. Some of you were there. You heard this message for a long time. Some of you have been here for a really long time. And you've just been watching God work. You've been just listening to this same message. Because we share it a lot. But you, at this point, have not yet received the work of Christ. It's my prayer that today would be that day when the gospel makes sense and where you realize, I haven't received it. I've heard it. I've been around it. But I need God's grace in my life. I trust Jesus to do for me what I can't do for myself. The scriptures just call you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So call to him right now, even in the quietness of your chair at this time, as God's leading your heart, open up your life to him. Put your faith in Christ, not in yourself, not in your way, not in your works, but in Christ alone. And when you do that, you are now in Christ and you've received the gospel in your life. Secondly, We're to pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would deepen in us. Once we have it, we want it to grow in its influence in our lives. Look at how Paul kind of talks about it in verse 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, that's a pretty high standard right there. He's he's at this angle where not only is he a believer, but he's also serving. He's been judged Faithful, He's a consistent follower of Christ. He's authentic in it. We all long to have that happen. But was Paul always that? Absolutely not. Look at how authentic he is in sharing. Verse 13, he says, so though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Let's just look at those things. His words, his actions, his attitude, if you could just describe it in one word, against. He was against Christ. He was against Christians. In the earlier part of Acts, we come across him uh, when when he was named Saul. And he literally was persecuting Christians. He loved it when they died. At, At Stephen's martyrdom, when he was stoned to death... The people who stoned him put their their robes right in front of Paul. In other words, he oversaw that and he gave authority for that to happen. But now look at him. He has the strength of the Lord in his life. He's a faithful servant and he's appointed to advance the gospel. He's deepened in that. And even to show it even one step further, he ends this whole section In kind of like a like a message, like a prayer, a prayer of praise to God. Look at verse 17. He says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He could have said that without Jesus because Jews believed that God was the only God of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God with honor and glory. But he says it with Jesus in the mix now. Because Jesus was the son of God, the savior of the world. Jesus is God. He's he's to be worshipped at it. And he says the king of the ages that be that in the past in the present in the future, his rule, his throne extends to all time. He's immortal. He's not affected by decay or death. He defeated the power of sin and death. He's invisible. In other words, don't confine God to an image. Make no image was one of the Ten Commandments of God, because when we make an image, when we form something and say, that's what God is like, we confine him. He won't be confined even to our limited imaginations. That's our God. And he's the only God. He has no rivals. To him be honor, glory forever and ever. And Paul basically says, in my life and all generations, this was a guy who went from the greatest opponent to the gospel to one of its greatest proponents, its champion of the gospel. And he loved and he lived Deep in the grace of God. He wasn't a surface follower. It wasn't a veneer that he dressed the outside of himself. But ignored the inside. He was authentic. And we need to pray for that. We need to pray for that not only in our own lives. But in everyone around us. We're people who who understand the reality of our lives. Paul didn't brag about himself. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't self-righteous in this. He was someone who was deep in it. He says, I was the worst. I was the worst. And Christ gave me his grace. And that's a good response to the gospel. Uh, You as a receiver of the gospel, you're not any better than anyone around you. Just remember that. Christians sometimes can think that about people around them. They start believing this thought that since I'm in, God must love me especially. Look at those people out there. Let's pray against them. And we have to be careful that we're humble with this. Paul was humble as he preached the gospel and he grew deep in it. He had a picture of what it looked like before and after the gospel deepening. Do you have that picture? Or do you just check the box? Got God. Got my ticket out of hell free card. okay? but I'm going to go live like hell. No, no, that's not that's not what the gospel when it's deepening in you. That's not what it produces. It produces change. It produces transformation. And none of us are where we want to be on that. None of us, if we're honest. But we're following someone who will get us there. We're following Jesus who's perfect. Even though we're imperfect, we're following someone and he's leading in our lives. It's never going to be perfect, but we are going to see that picture throughout time of following Jesus. That as the gospel deepens in us, we start to look, we start to act, we start to think with more of the mind and the actions of Jesus, the one who we follow. So the gospels to be received in us. It's to be deepened in us. And finally, it's to be shared by us. You see, the changed life is the best mouthpiece for the gospel. Because everyone around you and everywhere you are benefits when you receive the gospel and you grow deep in the gospel. So what you want to do when you have it and it's growing deep in you, you don't want it to dead end in you. You want it to spread to people around you. And my, do I love equipping people to share the gospel. I love a compelling life that shares the gospel because it's real in you and it moves through you. It moved from God God. To Paul, look at verse 14. He says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It came from God to him. But you know what? It didn't just dead end with him. He was passionate. He was sold out for verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners of whom I am the worst. Look at that. He doesn't tout himself. He touts the grace of God. Of God through Jesus Christ. But he also touts. Who need the gospel. Not only do you need the gospel. The world needs the gospel. It's not just a few select people. Everyone needs the gospel. I think about a certain group of people. In our own country. Who are fairly resistant to the gospel. And they aren't in church. 18 to 35-year-olds, if you're in that group, and you're here, which many of you are, and I'm thankful that we have a younger congregation here, but you know, nationwide, 18 to 35-year-olds, there's 16% of that group of people who are even connected to a church at all. Who would say, I've gone the last month to church? 18 or 16% of 18 to 35-year-olds. They aren't at church. So how are they going to hear about the gospel? Well, they need to come to church. They aren't coming to church. How do they hear the gospel? Well, Joe, that's why we pay you to preach the gospel. (laughs) They aren't coming to church. They aren't here. They have to be here to hear the gospel if it's up to me. Do you see what the commission is? You're promised the presence of God when you share the gospel, when it moves through your life. That's why... It is up to you. If not not you, who? They're not coming here. So you have to be someone, especially if you're an 18 to 35 year old, you need to love that generation with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And you need to allow the gospel to move and not dead end in your life. Not just be a recipient of it, but to share it. It's the greatest gift. Even if people disagree with you, if you believe it, they would still say, "Man, if I, I I don't want that, but if I believed it, I'm, I'd sure want to tell people around me." Wouldn't you? Would you think if you believed that? If someone believed that, you'd want to hear that from them. If you didn't have that, yeah, yeah. And so you are that generation. We are the people to share the gospel, and that's exactly that's exactly what Paul was. He was someone who was at one time against the gospel. He was against Christ as the Messiah. He was against the church. But since he received it, since it deepened in him, he shared it with everyone and advanced the gospel probably further than any person after him. Here's what God was doing, though. Look at verse 16. He says that in me... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example for those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now think about this. Paul has history with this. You're killing people in Jerusalem because they believe in Jesus. You're arresting them. Their families no longer have a father or a mother. People have left everything. They've lost it all and they ran to Samaria and to the ends of the earth because they were being chased by Paul. How should the church pray for the villainous Saul in Jerusalem? I think if he were here working in Topeka, we would go, God, get him. Amen. (laughs) Snuff him out. He's an enemy of you. He's an enemy of us. And we'd have personal interest to really bolster those prayers. And he took my mother. He took my father. He did this. We'd want him out. What was God doing? He was patient. You see, the patience of God, as Peter says, leads to repentance. I am thankful God is patient with me. God could have gone "Ah," and Paul would have poofed. He could have just cleared his throat and Paul would have poofed. And and yet God's mercies are new every morning in our lives. He's patient with us, not, in, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is our God. He was patient with Paul. And so there was a never, never a more thankful, thoughtful guy in the advancement of the gospel with being patient with people because God was patient with him. He was patient with others coming to the faith. He was patient with the church. I mean, ministry would be so easy if it weren't for people. People are messy. People, sheep bite sometime if you're shepherding them it really can be annoying and it could be easy when someone isn't getting it for you to be impatient with them and just say grow up or get out you know and and to keep track of how much time when people are stumbling around in their faith but patience is what we need and the patience of god led to paul's repentance and paul said look if if he could do that in my life he can do that in anyone's life. He shared the gospel on that platform because he was convinced, like he writes into the to the church in Rome, Romans eight thirty eight and thirty nine. He says, "I am sure of it. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in." Christ Jesus, our Lord, he was convinced nothing could separate that God loves you and there's nothing you can do about that. And so he was going to share that with people that it is in the person and the work of Jesus that God demonstrated his love for us, that God didn't wait for us to clean up our act. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that was his message. Paul could say from personal experience, I have tested the limits with God. I have tested pride, self-righteousness, arrogance, disrespectful words. I've been opponent. I have taunted believers. I have been a showboater, cheerful when something bad happened to the church. But now I am part of the team that I once tried to destroy. Because the gospel was shared through his life. And that's why I honestly believe your platform, your platform of the, uh, of the past, it is such, it, God uses that in each of us. And he makes no mistakes. And we can kind of see the extent of God's patience with an enemy, a murderer of the church in the life of Paul. And he became one of its greatest champions. You lie somewhere, somewhere in between there. And God is calling all of us to share it. You go, oh, I don't know enough about it. Well, start learning. Start appreciating it. Start living it. You'll at least have a story to tell about how you're following Christ. I don't know who to get. You have two people. You have at least two people in your life who don't know Jesus, who you can begin to pray that they will receive the gospel. Oh, but I don't know. I mean, if they ask me a question, what do I just say? I don't know that answer. No one's ticked at that. I just don't know. Sure is better than you inventing an answer. So we got to be people who the gospel doesn't dead end in us. But we share it not out of arrogance, but out of humility and confidence in the grace of God So if you you should have in your hand as you were as you arrived here and into the worship center here You should have been given one of these cards. If you have that card, just take it out I'd like to walk you through it Because here's what I want you to do It has on the back of it. It has three numbers one two and three And I want you to write each of those main words of our outline today. We want to pray, first of all, that the gospel would be received. Write that next to number one. And here's what I want you to write down there. I want you to write requests for people to receive the gospel in their lives. That may be a family member or a loved one. That may be a neighbor or someone you work with. Pray for their heart to be opened. Just write down their first name. Don't have to put their last name. But commit to praying for them. That the gospel would be received in their lives. Secondly, next to number two, write deepen. Pray that the gospel would deepen in your church and in your community, your, your city. Pray for people who God brings to mind. People you're in relationships here. Uh, pray even in your own life that the gospel would deepen, would deepen in us. If you know someone struggling to trust or struggling in their walk with Christ, ask God to deepen their trust in the gospel in their lives, to be people of grace, not of works. And then finally, write the word shared. And and pray that God would use you. Make yourself available for this. That God would use you to share the gospel. That God would use us as a church. That that God would use any church in this community who preaches the gospel to be used greatly of him. That God would use, if you know some of our partners, like like, uh, one of our, our deep ministry partners is Young Life or Topeka Rescue Mission. Or net reach that neighborhood we've been connected in pray that we would be able to share the gospel and that they would work with us And we would work with them to advance the gospel in the lives of people And here's what i'd like you to do with this i'd like you to put this in a place Where you'll see it daily and as you welcome the new year in i'd like you to put it in a place So you can be praying as you're driving through this city. I want you to be praying lord work in this neighborhood Work in this community. May people receive the gospel this year. And Lord, would you use, use me to share the gospel through my life? As you're driving to work or you're driving to school, put it in a place. You can put it on the mirror as you're getting ready in the morning. Um, you, can, you can put it in your Bible if you read it every day. But put it in a place you see daily because here's what I believe God will do. God answers prayers. And when we are intentional and when he we ask him to work and move through us, I have seen him answer our prayers. Now, he's going to work it out. He's going to put different experiences in there. You couldn't plan it if you wanted to. But when you're available to be part of his plan of people receiving the gospel, part of his plan of people deepening in the gospel, and part of his plan of people sharing the gospel, look out. I can't wait to hear the stories that are going to result from the answered prayers of your life being available to God for transformation in your church and in your city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for joining us together again today. May we be a church that, that has such a great reception of the gospel here that we see it for what it is, the, the glorious blessing to the church. May we deepen in the gospel. Would you give us a greater love and appetite for you this year? Would you help us like Paul to recognize our sin and run to the patient God through Jesus Christ who will forgive us? And Father, may you use us to reach people who do not yet trust in your work. May we pray this year for people to trust you and align with everyone who advances the gospel in our community and around our world. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.